if the only thing they can find is great things about you, then that's awesome. If they, you know, don't find anything at all, it could be seen as a negative because you're not active enough in the space to really have your voice out there. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate, from co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. If you're thinking about investing passively in real estate and you want to learn how to evaluate a deal, I created a free guide that walks you through the top five critical deal components that any passive investor must examine. You can find it on my website, ellieperlman.com. All right, let's get the show started. So my guest today is Jake Marmelstein. Jake is the founder of Groundbreaker, an investment management software company that my company is also using. And prior to this, he has held a number of roles involving real estate and technology, supporting the growth of early stage digital technology ventures while working with the government on foreign direct investment by Fortune 500. So in 2011, he started his career in real estate, underwriting hotel investments for Watermark Capital Partners, and he graduated from Cornell University with a major in hospitality management and minored in real estate. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Jake, before we start, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you founded Groundbreaker? Sure. So I was raised with a pretty entrepreneurial family and started working really early on for the family restaurant. And I did that up until the point where I went to school and I thought, I'll study hospitality. And then I did a bunch of different things when I was a student, traveled around, worked internships, and just got exposed to a broad spectrum of interests. And real estate was one of them. When I worked for Watermark Capital Partners, I had at that point seen you know, what it was like working in a lot of different small companies and knew I wanted to work in, in a small, tight-knit company where I could create an impact. And I knew I wanted to be entrepreneurial, but I wasn't sure yet what I wanted to do. And I was underwriting these hotels, mostly distressed during the time. And we had only five people in the company with a lot of capital behind us and a lot of deal flow, but we didn't really have good systems to manage it. And you know, I got exposed to real estate through that. I exposed myself to the idea of what I do now and, and the need for it when I was in that role. But then I also went over to work in the government and I was working in Brazil of all places. And it was when you know the Economist uh, front cover was the picture of Christ the Redeemer taking off like a rocket ship into the sky. So it was very interesting times. And we were helping with Fortune 500 companies to 
have the right incentive and team on the ground to be able to help them logistically invest and build economies of scale, infrastructure, and jobs in Rio de Janeiro as the South American hub of their international corporation. I just got more involved in real estate after that, you know, knowing where the railroad tracks were going to be laid down and continuing to beat the bushes and figure out entrepreneurial ways to incorporate my passions and my knowledge and just the times that I had to be able to create opportunities and, and see things happening. And Rio de Janeiro transformed while I was there too. So that was a very exciting time to be in real estate. Very exciting. So you've traveled and, and seen the world learning about and working in, in real estate. That's really exciting. So you're the CEO and the founder of Groundbreaker. How did you start the company? Well, I was working in New York at the time for a capital placement company where I was working with institutional investment shops and meeting, you know, putting them in person with hedge funds and other alternative investment vehicles. And, you know, the concept of Groundbreaker was still fresh in my mind from my time at Watermark Capital Partners. And the Jobs Act had just passed in 2012, and there was a lot of buzz happening in the real estate space about real estate crowdfunding. So I reconnected with an old acquaintance of mine from Cornell, and he and I were just talking about what each of us were doing. And at the time, he was working on a real estate crowdfunding company, and it was talked about in VentureBeat in August of 2013. And I said, let me, you know, let me be a part of that. I want to do this with you. I see that the writing is on the wall. Financing is changing. These pension funds and endowments, you know, they invest large slugs of money, but I can't see the, the average kind of person being able to raise institutional money. And now the Jobs Act is there. And this is a tremendous opportunity for so many people. But the technology doesn't really exist. And that was what we were going to do in you know, one way was we started over creating a disintermediated marketplace, which is really just a website where investors can go and sponsors can go and they can meet there and you know, an investor can express interest in a deal. And that was really the initial iteration of what Groundbreaker was. Over time, we heard from people because we got so much buzz from, from VentureBeat. And at this point, I was, I was kind of on my way out with my capital introduction job I was consulting on the side to pay the bills and I was working weekends. And then in April of 2014, I quit the job and went full time. And I was answering the phones, doing the calls, listening to people tell me what they needed and what they expected for us to provide. And we sort of massaged the idea until it got to a point where we figured out where we should be. And that was to provide a closed system for real estate syndicators to be able to harvest their own contacts and an investor base through a private portal. And the whole growth of the company kind of, you know, started from that concept and then building on, you know, more efficiency and more tools into this initial iteration. Got it. So basically your portal is an investor platform that syndicators are using to basically communicate with investors, make distributions, make you know automated payments, which is something that I personally really like, and manage the entire deal flow 
and entire communications with investors through that platform, which I know, you know, for many syndicators, that could be a huge pain point. When you have a deal, it's it's great because everyone is working really hard to get a deal and then, you know, communicate and send all the information to investors, have them commit and wire the money and ask questions and sign the PPM, the private placement memorandum. That could be, you need a team to do it. If you're going to try to do it on your own, that's going to be painful. And basically your platform is automating all of this and helping, you know, once someone wants to to invest, they basically, they log in, they add all their information, the PPM is there, they sign it, they, you know, add their bank information, everything there. So all the manual work is kind of cut significantly. That's one of, you know, the beauty in a platform like Groundbreaker you want to scale, you have to, in my opinion, at least invest in, in a platform and software and people that can help you basically focus on what brings you the most value and making sure everyone signed the PPM. That's important, but you really want to focus your time in finding deals, underwriting them, managing the assets and making sure that everyone is paying their rent, especially today. And not so much, you know, all the back and forth. So I think it's a really, really interesting product. And, you know, obviously, you know a lot about marketing because a big part of also the platform, what Groundbreaker is offering is using that platform to communicate with investors once someone has a deal. So let's talk a little bit about the process of marketing your deal to investors during a pandemic. You know, obviously, the main challenge today is you have some investors are eager, and I'm actually getting emails from investors and text messages and phone calls, when is the next deal? But you still have, you know, some investors that are still either afraid or not sure if they want to invest anytime soon. How do you, in your opinion, what can syndicators do to bypass this challenge of marketing a new deal to investors in today's environment? Well, my advice for people would be really just based on the way that we've been able to grow Groundbreaker and the way that I see clients who are successful. And it really comes down to being very transparent with what you're doing. The more information you put out there on yourself, and your business, your strategy, your deal within, you know, certain limitations to be compliant with securities regulations. But the more information you can share, the more confidence people have in you because they're going to spend time anyway researching on the internet about who you are as a person. And if the only thing they can find is great things about you, then that's awesome. If they, you know, don't find anything at all, it could be seen as a negative because you're not active enough in the space to really have your voice out there. Maybe nobody's paying attention to you or you're not really you know, that active. So having activity on social media, having a robust like blog or just information on your website that's talking about you and your team and what you guys do, it's important. And I think that having other investors who are enthusiastic about you goes a very long way. So really depends on where you're at in the stage of what your relationship is with your investors. But the ones who are that are very interested in working with you, they're going to be the ones that are the hand raisers. They'll 
come first. And I think I would recommend people to focus on them. If somebody's not sure about investing, trying to change their mind versus finding someone that is interested in investing, it's just a lot easier to work with people who are already there mentally than to try to change somebody else's mind about what they want to do, in my opinion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think every syndicator and sponsor has the really tight group of investors that are, you know, that they're very loyal. They invest in almost every deal and they're the biggest supporter. And I think starting there is definitely, you know, a good tactic. I can tell you that during COVID, when everything just started, I actually picked up the phone and called each and every investor and it took me... <laughs> you know, almost a week to complete all the calls, but said, Hey, wanted to tell you what's going on with the properties and see if you have any questions. And the fact that, like you said, you're active, that you're communicative and you're not hiding besides, you know, just emails, not really hiding, but you know, emails is one way to convey a message. And even then it depends on how much you're actually disclosing. Just, you know, there's no such thing as too much information, just put information out there. And that would build, you know, trust. One of the questions that I have for you is, you know, when it comes to marketing your deals to investors, you're basically saying, you know, start with your core group of investors, those who are loyal to you. How is Groundbreaker helpful in marketing deals to investors, especially in today's market? So I think that Groundbreaker really helps when you're going to existing investors or new investors because it simply reduces the friction in the process. And I don't know, I was like listening to a podcast earlier from the founders of Warby Parker talk about how they approached their business plan and, you know, selling glasses online. They removed the friction in every part of the business model. So it would be easy for people to evaluate the product, order it, you know, free shipping. It's like groundbreaker is get online, you know, log in, see the deal, see all the details, download the documents. If you want to invest, you can invest. You don't need to call anybody or do anything. You can just put down an amount. And when you're approved the amount, you can sign the subscription agreement. And that subscription is already pre-filled because you've provided some information in the software already. When it comes time to fund, you can fund the transaction online as well. So it just takes so much of the pain out and it makes it easy for the user. And so they're more likely to want to work with you if you're easy to work with, if you're organized. And Groundbreaker helps give you that infrastructure to do that. That's fantastic. And I think that it's, you know, so important to make sure that you remove the frictions because, you know, right now it's harder to find deals and it's a little bit harder to find capital, in my opinion. And whatever you can do to make the decision easier for someone, if they don't need to go back and look for the email that you've sent two weeks ago, they have to remember specifically that you, you did that, you know, you can also, you know, versus going to your website and actually logging in and, and you could basically, you know, continue from there, that can make, you know, a huge difference for sure. So Jake, what would be kind of, you know, the top one or two tactics in your opinion, of marketing today to make sure that you're basically facing resistance from some investors that are kind of afraid or unwilling to invest today? Well, 
if you're dealing with folks that are really not sure that they want to invest and they have uncertainties, you have to dig into those like any good salesperson would and ask the right questions. You know, what is it going to take? Are you allocating to real estate is a great question that I would start with. Are you even allocating? Are you even investing? Is that part of your portfolio? What percentage of your portfolio is it? Are you, you know, heavily weighted in stocks and bonds and, or fixed income? How much of your portfolio is in alternative assets like real estate? And you kind of understand the mix and then you get an idea. Okay, well, if you were to find an investment, what would it look like? How long of a hold? You know, you really need to understand the characteristics of what they're looking for and their risk profile. And then you'll be able to better understand if you're even going to be able to close on their investment based on the kind of deal criteria that you go after and whether the deal matches their investment thesis. And then when you do match the investment thesis with the investor and you're sure that they allocate, then you just need to really dig in and you know understand what are the concerns. And then you go down and you mitigate all of those concerns with whatever operational measures that you're putting in place to ensure that the capital is protected. And it also helps to surround yourself with great people who are going to be able to, if you're inexperienced, you know, great people who are going to be there and an investor feels comfortable when they know that you're working with other folks that might, you know, have more years of experience than you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jake, let's talk a little bit about strategy and, you know, when it comes to technology, you know, there's a strategic decision to be very technological savvy or focused and some investors love technology and I'm one of those you know investors and, and sponsors from my days at MIT I kind of got the technology bug and, and I love technology I love to understand what's happening even if it's not something that I'm consuming I need to know what it is and what it does because I feel that this is a way for me to stay connected and understand trends and understand the economy, understand the changes even in, you know, society. And, you know, technology is a big part of at least my life. What are kind of the best technologies out there that you see that kind of fundamentally are changing the real estate world? That's a really good question. So I think that there's a lot of different sides of this, but one of the things that I really like is as a tenant, in property management, like you can now have a firm that gives your tenants an app. And if there's a issue with the property, they can open up the app and describe the issue. And then the app would suggest a third-party service provider to come and fix it. And like that third-party service provider has the technology so that they can see the problem. The consumer has a way of documenting it. So it's a faster resolution period. And all the payments and everything are handled in the application itself. So I think it makes property management a lot more hands-off and consumer-driven so that they can you know, take care of the issues themselves and get the help that they need. I think that technology is really cool. Also, perhaps on underwriting, I mean, underwriting has changed dramatically over the last decade and I think over the last two decades, but it started for me to realize it when I actually got a loan personally for something and they didn't underwrite me based on any of the traditional things that people use to underwrite. It was like I got underwritten based on my GPA and what school I went to and I did pretty good. So I was able to get a good rate on this loan. And I think all of that, you know, it could eventually affect the way that 
debt gets underwritten for real estate. And like, that's something that, you know, we're interested in, in helping with as well at some point down the road. But being able to use other criteria that's a little bit more creative to evaluate the risk of a borrower and just having access to, to different kinds of data to be able to do that, which is now possible with technology. Interesting. Yeah, I would say that when it comes to underwriting, there's still a manual and painful process when you underwrite deals. And every sponsor has their own, you know, underwriting tool. We have a proprietary underwriting tool that is so detailed to a fault, maybe. I actually haven't seen anything that is that granular and but it, it takes a lot of time. It takes hours to input everything. And we have a lot of sales that are automated, you know, pretty much automated. But I think it would be wonderful to have kind of a software for sponsors for, you know, especially in multifamily where you can basically, and probably there's something very expensive for institutionals, but for, you know, kind of middle kind of market guys like us, kind of a platform that we can scan the T12, scan the rent roll, and it can show us all the anomalies. So for instance, our underwriting shows anomalies if it's, you know, two standard deviations or three standard deviations from the mean, then it actually shows the anomalies, but we still need to input the, you know, some of those numbers. And But something that can basically automate the process that within three minutes, five minutes, you have a complete underwriting that nobody has. Jake, if you can build something like that, that <laughs> would be amazing. I'm going to be the first one to try that product. Yeah. You know, that is extremely exciting. If we could, you know, underwrite assets faster with yeah. removing human error, underwriting debt. And I haven't even spoken about valuation, but I'm really excited about that too. Let's talk about valuation. Yeah. So I have, well, I have some friends that are working on their creators of a technology appraisal company. So, and they appraise real estate assets in like half the time or a third of the time that it takes traditional appraisers. And their reports cost a, a fraction of the cost too. And they use technology to be able to speed the process. And I think they're really onto something there. Just in the way that you talk about being able to underwrite assets, it's using, using machine learning being able to recognize you know, numbers, put them into a database, and then generate an output so that people like you and me can read it. <laughs> and it could have been made you know, by somebody manually, but that would take hours and hours of time. And then you just get a computer to generate it and it looks great. So, Yeah, there's so many things that technology can do to real estate to make it easier, quicker, more accurate. That's for sure. And I know that your company, you, know, you have a great tool. When it comes to technology, What's next for you guys? What are you kind of working on these days? And what, what are you going to work on, you know, in 2021? Yeah, so our software continues to become more robust. We're zeroing in on all of the core workflows that customers need to be able to handle their business faster, more efficiently with fewer errors while looking more professional. And the areas that we're working on building up even stronger now are our distribution automation tool, our K1 parsing, 
and dissemination tools so that there's a level of machine learning in that and it can automatically parse the documents for you. You just kind of need to dump them and they'll figure out who it goes to. With the distributions being able to calculate and send distributions according to a complex waterfall with hurdles and side letters and you know you name it, all this level of complexity that we can then work with a lot of sponsors. And then, you know, we would be very interested in at some point forming an institutional investment fund and allocating capital that normally wouldn't take a look at the kinds of deals that are run on the Groundbreaker platform, but to be able to give sponsors access to a lower cost of capital. Which is huge. Very interesting. Yeah, I think that there's so much that technology can do with real estate. It's kind of an old fashioned industry, but in my opinion, it's the most exciting one. And when you have technology and real estate combined, then it's really, really powerful. And I don't know why real estate is kind of slow to adopt. I know PropTech is huge, obviously. So there's a lot that has been done, but there's still so much to do. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what the future is, you know, will hold for real estate. Any final thoughts that you have before we move to the lightning round questions? Yeah, I guess I could ask you, maybe flip the question back. What is your favorite technology or app right now? I'm a favorite app or technology in real estate. So I have to say that I played around with a, a software that helped with underwriting, but it was very kind of a uh, clunky and it didn't couldn't really read the financials that you dropped. The idea was to drop, you know, an Excel spreadsheet and it would kind of embed the numbers in the model and it couldn't it couldn't read the Excel spreadsheet. So that was a little bit of a fail in my opinion. But I think the one of the best technologies out there that I actually really excited about is the kind of the 3D kind of online virtual tours. They are so good today and you can basically tap on any side of, you know, the apartment and it will take you there. It's not new technology by any means, but it has been helping us to lease during the pandemic where you, can, you can't let people walk around, you know, and, and explore different, you know, unit types. That really helped us, you know, make distributions and collections, you know, on time. So that's one of my favorite tools when it comes to, you know, just simple virtual tours that's that's kind of one of my the best technologies that that i'm excited about because it's also very very relevant you know during covid it's one of the most relevant ones obviously you know technology like yours that can help me as a sponsor with one button distribute you know everything to investors because we pay monthly distributions so every deal that we buy we have more and more investors which is great but it means that we have you know tens, if not hundreds more payments to make every month. And at some point you have to automate the process. You just have to. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that's useful. And then also the the property tours thing is huge. I mean, we, we've just seen like that. I have a friend who who owns a business that does that as well. Another real estate tech venture. And, and he says that sales have quadrupled over this period of time. So the virtual tour business is is definitely not going away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially you have all the the kids from San Francisco understanding that now that they can work <laughs> remotely and, and live very comfortably elsewhere, they're going to use those tools as well and probably going to move to a property that can offer actual, you know, virtual tours because they like technology 
And I, I don't live that far away from them. I'm, I'm here in Southern California. They're in Northern California. But I, from what I'm reading, there's actually a migration out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. out of New York. People are just going to warmer climates, hopefully to Texas, Florida, and Georgia, where I invest. But they move to places that are more affordable so they can have a bigger apartment or maybe they buy a bigger house. So virtual tours are definitely, definitely hot. Well, Jake, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And before we go, let's do the five quick questions, the lightning round questions. The first one is, what's your hobby when you're not running, you know, your company? What do you do? I am learning how to play guitar. Oh, very nice. Electric? Uh, no, it's just acoustic guitar. Yeah. Acoustic guitar. Very cool. What's the number one thing that people don't know about you besides that you're now learning how to play an acoustic guitar? I speak uh, Spanish and Portuguese fluently. Very nice. What do you wish you had known when you started years ago? You know, don't focus on technology funny enough. Just, you know, build something that's that's simple and gets the job done. And, you know, don't overcomplicate the software component. Very important. All right. And what's your number one advice to real estate investors who want to scale their business? You know, it's really great if you operate lean, go out for the minimally viable product, get a deal done, get going, do all of that. But think about your systems. And while you can, before you're big and you're really, really busy, think about your systems. Think about what kind of technology you can use to just make your life easier. And it's okay if you can you know, get something off the shelf that's you know, like not the ideal solution to start out. We're trying to make it more affordable so people can you know, hop on board when they're earlier in their life cycle and get the infrastructure at a lower cost. But you know, just get going and set yourself up for scale as much as you can from the beginning by staying organized and using technology to your advantage. Mm-hmm. All right. So Jake, thank you so much again for your time. If somebody wants to reach out to you and learn more about you or, you know, Groundbreaker, where can they find you? Yeah. So the best way is to just go to groundbreaker.co. We're active on chat, on the phones. So give us a call, connect with me on LinkedIn, and we'll start a conversation. All right. Perfect. Well, hope, you know, you're staying safe and healthy and it's not overly cold in Chicago right now. Again, thank you so much for, you know, the information that you shared with us today. And I hope to talk with you soon. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ellie. Appreciate you having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.